This is Taste of Meaning, and I am your co-host, Martin, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Charlie, and we are here talking about, you know, our least and best favorite memories and, and experiences when it comes to food. And Charlie, I'm going to give it to you to talk about it in a better way, but yeah, that is going to be our appetizer of the week for today. Yeah, so I thought about this because <clears throat> listening to um, other podcasts, uh, hey, I don't think it's any surprise that folks know I love the Dave Chang podcast shameless plug uh <laughs> you know I, he started kind of talking about he started naming like his like top 50 like you know food experiences one on maybe he started thinking about like you know what like i'd love to kind of talk about what is sort of a, like a best and worst food memory um and i think it, it's, it's a different way to look at it because it's like normally when we think about food it's like oh this is the best food that we ate this is so delicious or this is the worst food that we ate it was garbage but I think like being able to kind of tie it to a memory where it's not just about the food, but it's about the whole experience kind of brings a different um, take on it. And I think, you know, especially if you tie it to like, you know, experiences with friends, experiences with family or whatever, like, you know, you kind of tie in a little bit of that, you know, historical context, culture into it. So, yeah, I think this will be a fun appetizer. Um, do you have one in mind or do you want me to go first, Martin? You go first in case like something you say gives me a better one than what I'm okay, thinking. Okay, sure, sure. And, and this will just kind of be like a like a starter. I mean, we'll probably bring it up again next time uh, to kind of go in a sort of a deeper one that we will actually like thought about in more detail. So I would say one of the ones of my best, I'll go with that one first, would be um, going to Japan. I actually thought about this the other day too. We went to Japan and when we arrived in tokyo for one of the nights um you know we went out and one of my wife's friends who we stayed with they took uh took us to a itsukaya which you know i, I took martin to one you know where they grilled the meat um, yeah. on a really like, sort of like nice um grill and it has that char flavor to it so you know like the food was like it was good. Like it wasn't like my, the best itsekaya that I ever had. However, I think the experience felt very iconic to one you would experience in Japan where, you know, folks are maybe coming in after work or folks are coming with other friends, you know, people are drinking, people are, um, you know, sort of in a smaller space. And I think the vibe of it was really cool because, you know, we went out you know, with the intention of we're going to go to an itsekaya where we're going to drink, where we're going to, you know, just eat different types of skewers. I, I think it felt very iconic to what a true itsekaya experience would be like. And also the fact that I, I think this is something I thought about the other day too, where it was like, what are those experiences that I've done to where it's not something I would normally do? Like I would never go out to an itsekaya to drink and yeah. eat at the same time. Um, but, you know, I would definitely go just to enjoy the food itself. So I think being able to kind of go be in Tokyo, have that experience with, um, you know, friends over there, it, it felt very like a memory that it stands out. I'm always going to kind of remember too. I love that core memory. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go your negative next or do you want me to go by positive next? Go your positive. So like, thank you for sharing that. It's triggered a lot of good memories for me now. <laughs> See, that's why I want you to speak first so yeah. I can get like inspiration. I think for me, my most favorite uh, food like memories would be when it's like after an event or some kind of like something's going on, right? So one thing that came to mind was when I drove up to Portland last December, my friend and I were in the car all day, 12 to 16 hour drive. We had this like 
it was snowed in on the five so we had to take the scenic route on the side to like avoid the snow so we don't get stuck with it we didn't have snow chains and we got to our hotel like at 10 p.m and and in portland things close early so my the reason why we're talking about that because we're exhausted and we just decided like you know what let's just walk around a hotel and just see if there's anything to eat and we find this one food stand that's still open and it was a gyro stand and we and that was and neither one of us had gyros before we were like hey time to try something new pronounced gyro i don't i don't know if it's gyro or gyro or gyro or gyro it's gonna there's gonna be four ways to pronounce it and i'm gonna say each of the ways in my following sentence so we go to this gyro spot and we never had a gyro before so we're like oh maybe we should get a gyro and then we got a gyro and there you're just gonna use all we're gonna gonna, one of them is to be correct yeah we never had one before and my friend i ordered a a one that was beef and it was amazing and my friend he's like hey i never had this food dish and i never had lamb fuck it let's just do both and he did both and it was amazing and i and it's just like those experiences after an event where like you're not expecting it right you're not like i think it's like the food stands or like the food you find that you're not looking for or some of the are like amazing core memories like growing up when i would, went to go to dodgers games with my aunt we would just go to a hot dog stand in downtown and bam amazing it would be 2 a.m because for some reason we're out this late and we get hot dogs or like taco stands after like the club or something. You know what I mean? Like things you just don't anticipate getting, but because it's like there at the convenience of whatever you're already doing, it just hits different. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just knowing that this is like the cherry on top to an amazing day mm-hmm. or to a bad day. And this is what makes it better. Yeah. No, I, that's a really great memory. Mm-hmm. Especially like, like you said, it's that like good end piece to, yeah. to that um, whole experience. Yeah, now that we're feeling good vibes, how about we just leave the negativity to next episode? Oh no, I want to bring oh, up no, at least one shit it. experience. Okay, go for it, go for it, go for it. <laughs> All right, this was the one that uh, I was actually talking with my my wife the other day. <laughs> so we went to a, a sushi restaurant that's no longer in existence. Oh, thankfully. <laughs> oh, good, good, okay. <laughs> um, I think it was in Corona, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Corona, California. And, you know, like the, the food was not memorable in any sense. It was just like, you know, we were coming back from grad school at the time. We, mm-hmm. we wanted to find something that was just open. And so yeah. we stopped there. Um, and I think the, the food wasn't memorable. And so, you know, people may think like, well, why is this memorable for you? So then, you know, we're, I think we're sitting and waiting for our meals. I think we had ordered my wife. She goes and uses the restroom. I'm, I'm just chilling there on my phone. She comes back with this like face of like horror and laughter. And I was like, no, what's happening? No, no, no. <laughs> so then she, she, you know, she was telling me, she's like, yeah, you know, like um, I, was, I was going to use the restroom because I think it was like a unisex restroom. And I think they only had one restroom. So then she, she opens the door and <laughs> she sees <laughs> one, of, one of the, you know, workers, whomever, was there on the toilet um and the, the the response that she got and, and i'll try to be as accurate as possible the, the person looks up at her and was like oh hello <laughs> and then she was just mortified she like walked out didn't know what to do and and to this day i think we'll we always remember that until we're like you know anytime we go to a restaurant or something like similar that happens we're just like oh hello <laughs> there's just like, Yep. No. Okay, I can't top that. I have nothing. <laughs> I have nothing to say. 
All I was going to say was I had chilaquiles, which is the Mexican breakfast option in Mexico. And it was worse than what I've had over here in the U.S. And I was like, I was like, why is it bad here? <laughs> this is Mexico. This is the motherland. Oh, why my God. Again? Oh, it was bad because there was no sauce. There's no cheese. Mm. The chicken tastes as if it was boiled. The tortillas were pretty much dry. There was no flavor. It, and uh, I guess not disclaimer, but like apologies for my next comment. It felt like they made food for white people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're in Mexico. We're Mexicans. <laughs> Why are you making food like this? I can't imagine it without any sauce. That, right. That, that and I take, very and we've, we've gone that. twice. Yeah. To, yeah, yeah. to some and they've both had sauce. Delicious sauce. Cheese. Mm-hmm. Cheese is a big factor of chilaquiles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Didn't have either. Didn't, it, was, it was honestly chips at that point. <laughs> it was, <laughs> chips and boiled chicken. It was bland <laughs> chips and boiled chicken at that point. Yeah, there was nothing. They need to rebrand that then uh, <laughs> to be more Honestly, accurate. I don't like going to sit down restaurants in Mexico because they're usually not the best. Uh, in okay. my opinion, maybe I just don't know what to order, but like sit down restaurants in Mexico, I don't go if I always go to like stands. Like stands mm-hmm. is usually mm-hmm. where I go to. Unless it's a sit-down restaurant like near the water, then it's like more seafood, like mariscos mm-hmm. focus. But yeah, typically stands. That's all I go like taco stands, chalupa stands, tortas, all that stuff. Like just food stands. It's good to know. Yeah, we should go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not to this, not to this one particular restaurant, but we should go. Oh, no, you don't want to introduce me to to chips and boiled chicken? <laughs> yeah, if I can make you chips and boiled chicken. <laughs> True, 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 true. I mean, hey, uh, for our guests, they, they should know this is too. Uh, Martin is, is on a need of redemption for food. Uh, oh, my He's, he's introduced us to a his favorite ramen place, which <laughs> we, you know, my wife and I tried it and uh, we have our takes on it. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. But Martin everyone who's redemption. listening, if you ever had Killer Noodle, you know the magic that is Killer Noodle. You know that Killer Noodle is a Michelin star restaurant and it's top five in the world. And in Charlie, the world, he says. Charlie and, and his wife are, you know, they just don't like the, the nut-based broth. And it's okay. It's okay. Nothing against y'all. But just know, I'm not wrong. <laughs> it's not for, my for fault. I guess, please go out and try Killer Noodle. In- they have a location in Alhambra and West LA. He went to the Alhambra location, which is not the best location. Try one or the other <laughs> and, and let us know what you think. And, you know, which side are you on? Team Martin or Team Charlie? Oh, wow. We're going full Twilight here, aren't we? we yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> in, in need of finding the best ramen. <laughs> yes. And if you have other ramen restaurants like, uh, was it Daikokuya and Tatsu? Those are good ones, too. They're, they're good chains. Are they, Martin? <laughs> not, not as good as Kill Noodle, in my opinion. They, <laughs> they, they hit the spot. You know, it's a great, you know, Dekakuya opens at 10 a.m., bro. If you're hungover the night prior, you just go to Dekakuya, you sober yourself up. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. We'll catch y'all soon once our guest comes on. We're going to take a short break. See you in a bit. We are now joined by our amazing guest for the day. I'm going to pass it to Charlie to introduce Janice. Yeah. So Janice, I, I will happily hype up Janice. Um, I think she has been a really close friend. Um who initially started off as a colleague. And I think when I first met Janice, um, I think I, I felt like a really warm, welcoming spirit from her. And then also just like to be able to talk with someone who I think has made an impact on my life, like professionally, 
um, personally, developmentally, like she's really helped me to kind of see things in a different way, as well as be able to kind of dive deeper into my own identities, my own cultures, and and really lean into that a lot, as well as being able to kind of just slow down my life and really embrace other people and be able to connect with them a little bit deeper. So yeah, Janice, thank you for that gift. And I'd love to welcome you here and have you introduce yourself and your identities and whatever you'd like to share. Wow, thank you very much. Um, yeah, just touched by your um, welcoming and by your introduction. Wow, that's a lot. Um, let's see. So who am I? My name is Janice Cheche um, Burge Boafo. So even in my name, there's a lot of layers there. Um, let's see, what do you want to hear about me? So my first name, Janice, came from my maternal grandmother. Her name was Margaret Janice. So I dodged a bullet because I could have been named Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that's an old lady name. And Janice is right on the, right on the cusp mm -hmm. of that. Um, and then my middle name, Cheche, is from uh, Ghana, West Africa. It is in the Chui language. And it, it was my paternal grandmother's name. Um, her name was Akosua Cheche. And so I got that piece of her name and it means bright star. It's the wife of the moon and the mother of all the little stars in the sky. And so the, the story goes that if you follow uh, Cheche, you'll always find your way home. Mm. Um, so that is my name. And then again, more kind of connecting in my mother was, she was her and her sister, there was no son. So my that she wanted to honor my grandfather's last name, my maternal grandfather. So I got her last name, Burge or Berger, um, the French name. And then I have my father's last name. So Berger means by the riverside or by the water. And then um, it's pronounced Burge here in the United States. Um, and then Boafo means the benefactor, the helper, or the one who meet, who helps the people. So my last name, Boafo, is someone who helps the people. Wow, that's awesome. That's it's, so a cool. it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, if that's a great way to set up our podcast, it's just like there's so much even meaning behind names. I mean, just the, yeah. the fact that you shared all that, that's really powerful. Yeah, there's power and there's energy. Like, you know, what is your name? How do you ha allow people to call you? Mm -hmm. Like, even when, you know, seeing Martin, like, oh, does, do you allow people to call you Martin? Or do you go, oh, no, no, I'm Martin, right? And like, get it right. And there, like, cause there's an energy with that. Yeah, no, honestly, like going to college and like starting my early professional career, I was very like, shy about correcting people's name because mm -hmm. I felt like an imposter in all these like spaces. So I was like, oh, I don't want to say anything. Like, I'm just happy to be here. But yes, and like, the past couple of years as I gained more confidence and like um, security in my like profession, I'd be like, oh yeah, you can call me Martine at the minimum, but it's Martin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no Martin here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's the development. And for me, like even just with my identities, because you were talking about identities. So mm -hmm. I say I'm black. And in the past, because my mom's white, my mom's Danish French ancestry, ancestry um, but she's white and, you know, God rest her soul because she passed. And in the past, I would say, oh, I'm biracial. Oh, I'm, you know, this and that. And I don't need it to sort of quantify it or clarify it. If you know me, you know more about my story. Mm -hmm. If we talk and you can sort of hold my story with respect, then you'll know all those details. That, and it's not minimizing my other half. Like I, I'm presenting as Black. I'm living a Black experience and acknowledging that Black is so many different layers and nuances. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean solely Black. Um, so I feel like that's kind of like your, your piece, Martin. 
this sort of transformation. As I got more comfortable with who I am and how I move in the world, then I got more settled in claiming a name and claiming an identity and then knowing that there's so many layers to that. Yeah, no, I totally vibe with that. Because I think it's like also like being young and not as like for myself, like being young and not as educated and, um, you know, aware of like how things are in the world, right? Like I remember when I was in college, one of my like mentors told me straight up like, hey, when you're doing a presentation, don't introduce yourself as Martin, like be mm. genuine to yourself, like mm. be like, hey, hi, everyone. Welcome. My name is Martin. Like, be be proud of where you come from. Like, mm-hmm. you're like you're Latino. You're Mexican. Like, you don't have to like you know do anything to make them feel comfortable. They have to make sure you're comfortable. And that was something I always took away. I'm like, you're right. I should be like proud to embrace my heritage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's huge. It's super huge. Yeah. Even for me, like I it, I don't think it has been until probably the past I don't know two three years that I started to really embrace even my first name Chachai, where it's just like. Yeah, before it was always tough because I, I same similar to you, Martin, was like, I, I I never felt like I had the ability to want to correct other people just because I, I almost gave up. It was like, well, well, people aren't are, are not going to say it right. People are not going to understand just kind of where my background came from. And it's like, it almost felt like, oh, throw my hands up. That's it. But I think after like being able to really honor myself, honor my family and culture, it's like, no, like I this, this is how I want to show up. And this is how I want to um, share with people. This is how, how, you know, how to say my name, you know, where's my name come from? What does it mean? And it's like, it, it's so much more enriching that way um, to be able to do that. Yeah. And I feel like we're in a different space than previous generations. Cause as you were talking, I was thinking about like two folks from my parents' generation who like, they have an American name, like that made it easier and sort of the struggles of like trying to just pass and move through. Um, and just thinking about like, what did they give up or what that whole experience was of allowing someone to call them something different, or maybe even having like two, two selves, like the public self Mm -hmm. with people who don't know and understand you. And then the private self where you're more full and you're able to kind of be more authentic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Actually. I think that's something where I I learned from older generations in my family. Um, And it's not uncommon for the Asian experience as well, especially ones of two generations in the household where it's like, yeah, like, some of the older generations that I've experienced, it has been that where it's like, you know, we're just, we just want to pass by, you know, like you can call me my American name or my second name, as opposed to my, you know, um, birth name. And it, we want to be under the radar at that point. But I think now it's just like, no, like I, I, I want to be seen in the ways I choose to be seen and in representing my culture and representing how I want to, my culture to carry forward too. And I think that in order for me to do that, I want to be able to embrace all parts of me as opposed to just selective parts of me. Yeah, I like that. I like the idea of this is sort of like your gift going forward. I've, yeah, you got me thinking, you always have me thinking about something. I was thinking the other day, I was doing some research and thinking about some different things. And it's this idea that at one point in the future, we will be sort of someone else's memory. We'll be someone else's ancestor. Like what we're living now is in preparation for someone to be like, wow, Chachai was this, like, and the stories and the, like all of the things about you 
So, and this is sort of like some African kind of cosmology thought process, but I think that this continues in a lot of cultures is that there's this connection between the now and the future and then the past and like you giving the gift of the next generation or even the present generation being able to feel comfortable and authentic in claiming identity, right? Like in taking up the space that is who they are. So I like that. That's a deep conversation, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which I would love to talk about, but I know Charlie and I are itching for the food. Wow. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely leave our guests with that. That teaser yeah. really ponder. And I never really... even thought about that for myself, like my impact on my, like my future, like relatives and whatnot. Yeah. Like one day we will be someone's ancestors. And it's like, wow. all I want is to be that uncle that, or that just that, um, like relative figure that people look up to and be like he's the one I want to like talk mm -hmm. to for advice and like guidance that's that's all I want for my relatives mm -hmm. in the future mm -hmm. yeah and you're developing it now that's the that's the wild <laughs> thing right mm -hmm. like in this moment you are developing that yeah. oh I hope I make him proud <laughs> I hope I'm the bare minimum at least <laughs> oh you're doing it thank you all right, folks. So food. I mean, uh, one of our favorite segments is definitely talking about the food of meaning. So, you know, with Janice, I'd love to hear what, what is the food or dishes or, you know, part foods of your upbringing or anything that you'd want to talk about that is of meaning to you? Yeah. Okay. So let's see. So my dad was an excellent cook. God rest his soul because he's passed also. So my dad was an excellent cook. Um, and he grew up on a little farm, like cooking over just like open air kind of situation and fire and things. Um, and he was just really good at cooking everything. But some of the sort of traditional dishes from his area, plantain, like hands down, this was something like, and I don't know, depending like people call it plantain, like whatever. But it is a banana equivalent or banana sort of sibling, but you have to cook it for it to taste good. So you can boil it or you can fry it you can even barbecue it. Um, oh my gosh, it's good on the barbecue, but I, I'm like, oh, I'm so hungry. I, tr I tried this morning to make it to like, like hype myself up to be here and I burnt it and I was so sad. I'm like, I'm still going to eat it because I stepped away from the stove. Um, but I was still eating it. So slicing the plantain and then just frying it. And I think that it tastes different in peanut oil versus other kinds of oil. So there's that whole conversation about what oils do you use? And I feel like my dad did the American as close as I can get equivalent to what options, like especially thinking back, you know, when I was a kid, you know, 40 years ago, um, what equivalents were available in terms of like access to ethnic markets and stuff in the United States. Um, so he would fry just like regular vegetable oil. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's the way, and I've never been able to replicate the way he fried it. So I almost like just don't make it because it's just not right. He sliced it in such a way that it was like, well, it was thick in the middle and like I don't know, thick and delicious. And then the edges were like a little crispy on the edge mm. and like, oh my gosh, so good, so good. And it's like, I think of the equivalent of a, for American food, like if you have a piece of bread with your meal or you have a potato with your meal or I don't know, but it's just so much deliciousness. So that's one thing. I'm kind of curious <laughs> um, with, with, with the, the plantains, like um, would there be any sort of like dishes that you would remember eating it with? 
Um, I feel like plantain was with everything. So you could have plantain. So in the morning, if, and I remember he, he would to tell me a story. He used to obviously walking himself to school and stuff and they didn't have running water. So he would um, go get water from the well and then put water on to boil. Part of it would be to like get a hot, a hot bath, like sort of wash up. And mm. then part of it would be, he'd be boiling the plantain. So I was never a huge fan of boiled plantain, um, but boiled plantain for me is good with things that have a lot of flavor because it's really just mm. like a potato, like a boiled mm. potato. It's mm. a little bit more flavor. It's kind, It tastes kind of dry to me, um, but the fried plantain, I would say it goes with anything. One of the things I can think of is plantain and jollof rice are like best friends. They go together. They always should be together. Um, I love jollof rice. What is that? I don't know what that is. Oh, take it away, Janice. <laughs> I mean, jollof rice to me is the equivalent of like red rice in any other culture. It's like the tomato base and it's got a little spice in it. And everyone makes it different. Like everyone's mom or mm-hmm. grandma or dad or whoever makes it different. Um, I think what was cool was like, because my dad grew up sort of in this farm situation, he cooked. And in my mind, it was like, cooking was always sort of like perceived as a woman's thing but like he was the guy like oh he would cook um so jollof rice it's like red and a little spicy and a oh it's just delicious I don't mm. even know what am I missing Martin I'm like that's oh, another one that I failed in the, making the one I had recently this year was a chicken based jollof rice mm. and it was so good I had like chicken I had vegetables in it but as to her point it's the the star of the show is the red rice Mm. yeah and it's and like the, the equivalent of like a fried rice like you can yeah. kind of mix it up but it's always got to be like with the tomato base you will get the chicken mm-hmm. in there you, yeah and then we had yams on the side like the the yam dough consistency to like scoop it up mm. okay you're not talking you're talking about the food that i was about to go to my next oh, one go, oh. go, go for it take nice. it take it fufu oh my mm-hmm. gosh yes it fufu. is the most delicious like I'm like my toes are all crunchy like it is so delicious um so fufu the closest thing I don't know that there's even an equivalent I remember when we were kids my dad tried to get it make it something similar with like powdered mashed potatoes because it was like the sort of similar con- it's thicker though and doughy and it's made from cassava and and like traditionally you pound the cassava until it gets this consistency um Oh my gosh, it's so delicious. And it's sort of in this one, this is, I think another thing I like about it is the way that you eat it. Mm. So it feels very homey to me. So it's in this one dish and you kind of like can take out your portion. It's very much a communal. And then you've got a bowl of soup. It could be like ground nut soup, which is what you had me thinking earlier, Martin, is the idea of like a peanut-based soup. Mm -hmm. It's a spicy peanut soup. Mm -hmm. So delicious. Um, and or uh, lots of vegetable soups sort of like very heavy in the vegetables and the greens and all those kind of things or okra soup or pepper soup um Mm. and they're like a broth I'm trying to think of what the equivalent would would be in some other kind of food it's like a broth that you dip the fufu in so you take a like a portion of fufu with your hands and you got to use your right hand because your right hand is your good clean hand this is history right and in the past and then your left hand is your hand for dirty things so like thinking about and so no like really like traditionally yeah, yeah, like yeah. if you and if you're left-handed you're kind of stuck because you gotta navigate <laughs> the world like but you literally like when you greet people when you eat food right you don't pick up your food with your left hand mm-hmm. it's considered mm-hmm. like 
rude and just not not proper. It'd be like chewing with your mouth open. Like I think that's sort of one of the equivalents. Um, so you scoop the fufu and then you like dip it in your broth or your soup and then you just sort of suck it off your fingers. And I think it's something I miss about American food because like you don't necessarily eat things with your hands. Right, right. And if you do, it feels like you're doing it the wrong way or it's not really yeah. proper, but this is nice. Like you're all sitting, I get like a portion of this and I'll mm-hmm. dip and, and you, you stay in your up. little spot. You stay in your yeah. little spot. Cause you don't like, you know, double dip sort of, cause it's this mm-hmm. communal mm-hmm. foo-foo, but yeah, you maintain your little, it's interesting. And it's conversation and, oh, it's so good. It's a nice, thick, creamy, but not like milky creamy. It's like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some other equivalent. I don't think there is. I feel like maybe I'm thinking of like a dumpling, sort of the outside when they're steamed. Mm. It's sort of that mm. kind oh, of okay. pate. Okay. A little bit. What do you think, Martin? Is it a little bit like that? It's like a this... little soft. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like the fine line between a thicker mashed potato uh-huh. and a softer dumpling outside texture. Mm. Like yeah, it's texture. it's right in the middle because you can legit like you can spread it open. You can like mm-hmm. flatten yeah. it. You can make it almost yeah. like like pupusa style like it's flat and then you can just stir stuff in there and you can roll it up mm. like you can yeah. play with it like it's really like it's stretchy yeah 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 and it's mm. so delicious oh my gosh it was good so my, good my first time having it was amazing what did you have it with you had it with, with jollof rice. rice yeah nothing else no broth we, or soup we didn't so like it was my friends and i and we're not like familiar with this like like with Nigerian food so when we went mm-hmm. we were like okay we asked the person at the front like what do you recommend is our first time and they're like you gotta get the jollof rice you gotta get fufu and it gets yeah. and then they recommend this like chicken breast which was it was pretty good it was like like basically drowned in broth so uh, okay so you of, dipped it in there yeah we did definitely we dipped it in there for sure but we didn't get like a broth consistency on its own mm. okay yeah but it was really delicious like we definitely yeah. want to like go back to that one or even try Ethiopian food next and Ethiopian food is so different I literally mm-hmm. I actually had Ethiopian food th- this week um and there was some stuff I love and some stuff not so much so Ghana and Nigeria are neighbors like mm-hmm. California and Mexico like they share a border and so there's a lot of similarity in some of the foods um yeah so like I'm thinking Nigeria they probably gave you the easy soft start because I feel like there's some other stuff that's like a little bit more pungent in terms of like the fish soups and different things Mm -hmm. and things with more greens um it was a good intro for sure yeah 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 because I'm like oh okay so the Nigerians doing fufu I feel like the Ghanaians do fufu the best but (laughs) I mean we're neighbors so yeah now I, I i all that i've never tried before so i i cannot wait to try i know spa in inglewood charlie for fufu we can go yeah okay. yeah cool maybe hopefully you like that one <laughs> buddy <laughs> hopefully hopefully take it easy on the soups and broths like yeah. try the fufu without it because it's its own standalone deliciousness and if mm-hmm. there's something else that you like like you could totally dip the fufu in that something so it doesn't like mess up the fufu experience if you didn't like the broth um trying to think because I went to a Nigerian place actually in Inglewood and I wasn't excited about the broth but their fufu was good too mm. you've never had plantain Charlie oh no I've had plantain yeah. oh okay I was like Whew. Right. <laughs> I haven't had plantains no you haven't Martin no I have not never like in serio no I never had it what yeah. but like plantain is everywhere like all across like 
just everywhere not, just like my colombian friends make it i just haven't been served it before like we had a barbecue one time and he even told me like oh i was a bring plantains but i wasn't sure what the vibe was because a lot of people weren't latino and i was like oh man never had it he's like oh you tell me this now i would have brought it just for you oh and there's so many different things like yeah. okay so you got like the mature plantain and that is the one that's the sweet one like okay mm -hmm. so you got like a sweet plantain and you got a not sweet plantain so mm -hmm. if you boil it it's not going to be as sweet um it also depends on which plantain you get um and how long you let it go like you know how your bananas start to get spots mm -hmm. yeah so the plantain is the same thing like if it's you know you got your plantain is green and then it starts to yellow and starts to go brown like you need it to kind of be going brown but still be firm Got for me. it to be friable cookable like to, for it to be more sweet but then okay. if you let it go too far then it's bad Got it. it's right when it's like turning into the sweetness that you want to get it but there's so many options like you can fry it and if you fry it thick you get like the cuban version where it's all like thicker and it's kind of meatier I like it when it's sliced a little thinner so it's crisp on the edges mm. and then I love plantain chips but you have like the savory ones and then you have the ones that are, you know are the mature plantain chips where did I go I went to Vallarta the other day um you all have a Vallarta near your house no not on my side is. it's okay, a Mexican so market it's a Mexican oh, okay. market it's a chain market yeah, yeah and they had the two options one was like you they slice them really thin and this was they had like strips uh -huh. and then fried it and then salted it and it was like they had the sweet ones and the, the maduros are the sweet ones and then you had oh. like the plain ones so I got like one bag of potato chip <laughs> tasting ones and then yeah. one bag of like ones that were like you could taste the sweet in there yeah like so um, good in my side of the I'm in West LA like we have a lot of like local Asian markets but not many Latino ones like I found one recently that mm -hmm. I love and I go for like my like when I go to the back to get the meats and stuff, like my pollo asado, preparado, and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. But yeah, we don't really have many Latin markets over here on my side. Oh, so good. So, I know it's, so been, good. it's been hard. <laughs> it's been hard trying to find my struggle. Myself. Yeah. But I'm, so, I'm definitely enjoying the Asian markets. They're amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting too. I think like it, it's cool to kind of see like how um, different foods have like different, almost like versions or different takes on those types of foods from other cultures like I'm thinking mm -hmm. when you talk about like fried plantains I'm thinking about um sort of like just a, a, a Thai fried banana or banana fritter growing yeah. up yeah and it, it, it's it's similar in that sense where it's like it's kind of like a fried plantain but almost like a little bit um I would say kind of like thicker in terms of the batter um almost like a tempura batter um and like yeah I remember eating that all the time growing up we would go to like the Thai temple and we'd always buy like Thai fried bananas um so yeah I, I think it's kind of cool to kind of see like different cultures have like different takes on something similar yeah it's cool and then like like yeah you get like you said the fritters and I'm thinking like of Colombian food where they do tostones like they kind of smash it and fry it and um uh, yeah I feel like that's Cuban food yeah there's all these different options of it and it's all delicious I mean mm -hmm. you can even fry a regular banana it's not as tough and as you know like it doesn't hold up as well but plantain mm. oh plantain so good so plantain jollof rice fufu i feel like rice in general is a staple and a thread of much of my growing up mm. um like just different kinds of rices and you know pilafs and just rice with anything um my mom was not a good cook um 
and uh, she primarily raised us. And I think what I took from my growing up with her um, was like struggle meals. So we were pretty poor and we didn't always eat uh, like three meals a day. She was creative in just the randomest of things, trying to make them something. And I think that when I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, there's some things that are sort of like very ethnic culturally connected and then there are some things that for me were the culture of poverty which is Mm. a very different thing but to me it was much of my growing up experience so I claim it as one of my identities like being a poor kid like and the experiences of being a poor kid like some of the conversations um just around navigating uh, like different foods and just things we came up with and yeah, food sharing and just a bunch of different things. So yeah, she came up with wild, <laughs> wild recipes. I'm like, I don't think this is a thing. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. I mean, it, the the both and experiences that, mm-hmm. that you had growing up. And, and I think that's cool because it, it sort of shapes sort of your worldview. It shapes how you experience you know your life but also like how how maybe I don't even know if it could even experience how you are now um, um so um, I think that's a great bridge and transition a little bit of just like you know the next part of just kind of diving deeper into to you and just kind of like what what do you feel is of meaning to you that you really want to highlight so you know whether that might be related to something you do a cause your family your work or, or anything um that you feel is a meaning that you'd want to highlight for for yourself and diving deeper more about yourself um i think that the message that and it does i i, I do agree with you that it's that it connects so what connects from the piece about sort of the struggle meals and trying to be creative about things to me is what I learned growing up about dignity, about love, about sort of worthiness, having grown up in with these different identities that were very much marginalized. Like my dad was a green car carrying guy, like in the experience of being the child of an immigrant, the experience of being the child of someone whose like status was not secure. Um, And then my mom being sort of marginalized because she ended up having black kids as a white woman. Like I was born in 1977. So I was born 10 years after it was legal and, you know, culture takes time to shift. So some of those experiences that she went through raising us as black kids and um, just in different neighborhoods, I think what I learned growing up in some of the struggles and and really a lot of the good times um, was my parents gave me the gift of love. Like I always, always knew that I was loved and I understood that, like whatever struggles there were, there was typically a silver lining and there was some way to like work it out. So I think that um, what I got from that was the experience of times where maybe my home environment was the only place where I felt like uh, seen and heard and respected and loved and like more full. So that what I do now is I do coaching, I do training. I've, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I teach in substance use disorder certification program. So I'm an adjunct faculty there. Um, And what I've consistently attempted to communicate or notice that I'm really leaning into in everything that I do is how to support people, first of all, to how to see people. Like, Mm -hmm. how do we connect? Um, 
what are opportunities to really see the other person on across the screen or in person or like hearing their beautiful layers and those intersections of identity and then having seen them finding ways to leverage those um in the in like whatever work they do so i think that a lot of my um what drives me is just being authentic with people, seeing them, hearing them, witnessing them, being excited for them and like helping them to get excited for themselves. And yes, like, oh, noticing small things. Um, I am often full of gratitude and joy and excitement about very small things. Um, and yeah, just, I, I like to take time with folks. I'm trying to think of what else. So, so like in all those spaces that I am, I, I, I'm all about like connection and healing and like we've got this, this human experience that is time limited and it's like scary and crazy, but can we talk about it? Right? Like it's time limited and can we have a little, little joy? Can we love on each other? Can we learn some stuff? Um, can we be different, but be authentic and excited and noticing the differences. Um, so yeah, I think what the theme is sort of that witnessing that seeing, it's a lot about figuring out like, what is your purpose? What's my purpose? How do I leverage those gifts? Um, because we've all got a little something special. And I don't know that our that life always encourages us to notice our gifts and then to share our gifts. Um, so yeah, I mean, I also teach resource parents. So I'm a foster adoptive parent. Um, three out of my four sons are adopted and I'm excited about opportunities there to support resource parents. Cause this is hard. Like this is hard caring for someone that maybe doesn't stay with you and being emotionally connected and invested and at the same time, wanting to like support their relationship with their birth families and facilitate that, you're sort of being asked to serve two masters. Like I'm supposed to help the child and protect them and love them. And I'm also supposed to be rooting for and connecting with the birth family. Mm -hmm. And then my heart's breaking somewhere in between, right? And I'm doing the day-to-day -day struggle. Um, so same thing. I, I think that, yeah, that theme is like, whew, this is your real experience. Um, and... How, what are you learning from it? What are you building from it? Yeah, so I, I teach I teach social workers. I also teach resource parents. So it's interesting to kind of be in the middle of those different worlds and helping people a lot. A lot of my work is connect, I think sort of not my formal work, but I think that this is like what's behind the scenes is the connecting piece, mm -hmm. helping people to get the perspective or some considerations about the lived experience of someone else. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like, where was I at? I was somewhere the other day and my kids, sometimes I like my kids will say stuff and I'm like, yes, I'm doing it right. Um, we went somewhere and this is about like seeing other people's experience. We went somewhere and we went to Chipotle and I have, my 12 year old was going in to get something and he was saying something about one of the staff that was working there. And I was like, oh, he blah, blah, blah. He goes, mom, you don't know their pronouns. And I was like, mm. okay. Like <laughs> he was like, they blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I was, first of all, I was like, who are you talking to? Like, <laughs> second of all, I was like, good job. Good job, mom. Like, cause I feel like these are conversations about being seen, right. And like claiming yeah. your story and all this other stuff that are conversations that we have had so that he can look at somebody else and consider that 
his vision of them is not their vision of themselves mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and make some space for them to tell the story. Like that gets me excited. And I, and I see opportunities for that in, in so many different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin, uh, something you'll know about Janice that I've known her, she's really great with stories and, and, and connection, connecting stories and being able to um, have also analogies. So that, I think that was a great representation of that. And, you know, it made me really think about how sort of the fabric of what you've talked about so far is just about feeling seen, feeling sort of honored and, and being able to kind of, you know, have that experience where this person sees me for all of me in, in every aspect. So I wanted to ask you, Janice, like, maybe if, if you can recall a time where, like, what was that even first recollection, perhaps, like, of feeling seen, um, whether that might be, I guess, in, in experiences with your family, I think you, you mentioned, like, that, those were possibly some moments, but can you recall even time where, like, yeah, this was when I felt seen, and also that's impacted me now, moving forward, and help, helping making feel others seen too. Mm. Wow. I, I mean, I'll, I'll, oh, that's good. Okay. Um, let's see. Such a good question. I, I remember being five years old when I realized that four or five, when I realized I was black, mm. I was walking down the street with my mom and she was very fair skin, dark hair and green eyes. Um, and I was holding her hand and I look, I remember, like, I can remember the memory now looking down and being like, oh my God, my hand's brown, your hand's white. Like, what is going on here? Like I had an actual, oh, like released her hand. Like, oh my God, our hands are two different colors. And it's weird because my dad was very dark skinned. We, and I didn't grow up with both of them. My dad lived separately. My dad was very dark skinned. I spent good quality time with him and I primarily live with my mom and my brother. Um, And so I saw them always, but I didn't notice those things, right? Um, I say that because I was like, oh my gosh. But then when I think about being seen and heard, and I look at pictures, and I was kind of just doing some recollection and remembering, my mother realized that she didn't know the experience of being biracial or being Black. And so her effort was to connect me with people who had some piece of connection to that that identity. Mm-hmm. Um so when I think about being seen and heard, I feel like I have always been seen and heard in my family. Some of the things that I think about are, I have a book now that's one of my favorite books from growing up that my mom got for me when I was a kid. And it was an alphabet book. It was like A through Z, but it was Tribes of Africa. Oh, wow. And it was has this, it, it's a medal winning book. I forget what it's called. I can probably pull out of my library in a minute, but it has got beautiful art. And it's just little stories about all these different tribes and all these different um, places. But it was an ABC book. My mom would, you know, buy me toys that were little black kids, or she would make a point of finding any little model for positive identity and like seeing myself in the world. Um, So I feel like that was a big one. She'd have some of her girlfriends come over and like braid my hair. Um, and like try to style my hair. She couldn't even make like a simple braid. She'd be like, I, I was, I lived in an Afro puff. It was like one big ponytail at the top of my head. It was like a little globe. And, um, but she'd bring people over, like her girlfriends over to like braid my hair and put the beads in and stuff and style it. Um, yeah. So I think that that to me was a like the representation, the connection to folks um, was a big piece of it. 
I'm trying to think of what else in terms of, so your question was about the connection and the being seen. I think for me too, is always this sense of being loved. Like my mom struggled with mental illness. And um, even in the midst of that, I always knew my brother and I always knew we were her number one. Like maybe she wasn't working because she'd go back and forth between working and not working, but it was always like, we were her priority. She would like, tell us that she loved us. Like not everyone's family always tells them that they love them. My mom, I remember when I was like 12 years old, she mailed me a postcard, but we lived together. Like, and it was like, I just want you to know that you're a wonderful, like wonderful daughter. So she's gone now, but I have actual things that she told, like, these are, this is back to the gifts. Like, do you share your gifts? Her gift was to love us so deeply. And she shared her gift in her words, literally mailed me letters more than once, like throughout my life. Um, or would put like a sticky note on the window on the mirror with an affirmation. Mm-hmm. So to me, that was like, I see you, I love you, you're amazing, you're gonna do great things. Like that kind of stuff was about being seen and heard. Um yeah, so all of that. And, and, and how has yeah. all of that, I guess, impacted or influenced how you show up now in the world? So back to a story. Um I was looking at some old journals. I used to do a little journal writing when I was a kid. Um, and what I, one of the journal writings was about, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to love people. Hmm. Well, I had three options. I want to love people. I want to be Whitney Houston because, you know, <laughs> the era, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and um, I want to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I feel like apart from the Whitney Houston part, because I cannot sing at all. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I've accomplished the loving and the teaching. Like to me, it's interesting that the consequence or the impact of having, I mean, my life was rough growing up, like having a space where there was so much not being seen, so much um, being disrespected and so much like largely because of like poverty, like standing in lines for free food and then them handing you food that had like, something in the food like a bag mm-hmm. of rice and you're like there's little mealyworms in here like mm-hmm. and then being like you just sort of take what you get and you be happy because you're that poor person and you should be happy for what we've got to give right like or dealing with an incarcerated parent and like the disrespect of riding the little bus to the prison and then the timelines and like seeing people at their worst moments like all of those things um, amongst many experiences and consistently knowing that there was two folks in the world who loved me um, despite their struggles or in spite of their struggles, to me, that's the, like the warmth and the being present for folks that I'm able to transfer and kind of leverage in the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I okay stuff. Like I'm not co-signing and, uh, I'm not co-signing and sort of like, um, being complicit in things where I see there's a need to do something different. But it's like, I can still love and respect you. And I, and I would like to see where you're coming from, mm. right? And how do we leverage that amazing thing that you have to deal with all this other stuff? Like, I'm a big fan of this idea that we have the disease, but we also have the cure, right? Yeah. Like, we've got yeah. the disease and the medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how it shows up. Like, it shows up in just, I hope it shows up in the way that I treat others. Yeah. And both my parents were wildly uh, funny and 
laugh at themselves a lot. So when I'm not being as cool as I am right now, I crack a lot of jokes and I laugh at myself all the time. Like <laughs> I, I make myself laugh all the time. Like it's life is hard. Like, could we have a little humor? Could we smile a little? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love that. I now, you know, refer to you as the cool auntie. So <laughs> there you go. It happened, Martin. I was at a meeting and someone said who I thought was similar in age to me was like, oh, it's a cool auntie. It's like, oh, talking to you is like the cool auntie. And I was like, first of all, I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even, <laughs> this is what I was thinking in my head, first of all. And then I was like, okay, receive it. And I still am like, I really want to know how old they are. The next time I see these two individuals, I'm going to slide in some way to ask them how old they are and be like, well, actually, just because my hair grayed early doesn't mean, <laughs> but I'm claiming it, but I'm claiming it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where were you when Michael Jackson passed away? How old are you? When did Michael Jackson pass away? What year was it? 2009. 2009 okay let me see I was oh, in middle you're, school you're gonna make me, you're gonna make me <laughs> I was grown school. I was I was grown but let me, was, you're gonna make me do math like Lee with my I was in middle school so I just want to know, get an idea where everyone else is at I was, oh, oh I was grown I was grown 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 <laughs> 2009 so that's yeah it's like I think that's right after high school for me all right there you go. Yeah. See, that's, that's how you figure it out. <laughs> if they say middle school, you know, they, they might age. <laughs> okay. So I had a son in middle school at that point. Okay. So my oldest son I had, I got pregnant when I was 18. I had him when I was 19. So that's a whole nother like experience of navigating the world and seeing how people treat you and see you mm -hmm. when they see you as a pregnant teen or as whatever. Mm. Um, as opposed to like seeing more fully, like all those other things. Um, so yeah, my son was born in 96. So he would have been 13. Yeah. I was oh born in 97. Your son there. like the same There age. you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm like, Michael Jackson died. Like, how about where were you when Michael Jackson was in his red jacket with the zippers? I was dancing along. Like I was over here trying what, to get all the moves. My brother what was that 91. I don't know when it was, but my brother, my brother had the swap meet version of that jacket. Oh my God. And it was like, it got old and then like the fake leather yeah. stuff started to peel off. <laughs> poverty struggles, poverty struggles. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's funny. Yeah. Oh yeah. We've had such a, a wonderful journey so far with you, Jazz. I mean, it, before we do transition to our sort of like mental health check-in portion of our pod, I mean, is there anything else you'd want to uplift or share a little bit more about yourself, um, your experiences, your culture, anything? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think I'm, I'm a really big fan of asking people questions and not these corny kind of canned questions that are self-serving of like, you need a question, an answer to a question that's more like interrogation, um, but asking people questions to let them tell you a story. Mm -hmm. um, so that you can better understand. So it makes me think about, um, oh, I, I like I, I remember since we were talking about age and kids and stuff. I remember going to sign up for Medi-Cal because I needed insurance to deliver my baby mm -hmm. when I was, um, you know, a teen. And having worked consistently like two jobs since I was 15 years old, I paid into the system. As I'm older now, I realize I paid into the system. But mm -hmm. at that age. I was like shamed and embarrassed to walk into the social service office to ask for Medi-Cal, which is an entitlement that we pay into, right? Like mm -hmm. when you think about it that way. 
but I didn't have that mindset. And the woman who was doing the interviewing, I felt like trash. Like I felt so like, right? Like I felt so dismissed and so to access something that was something I had paid into and I've been working consistently. Um, And the way that she assumed my story carried a lot of weight for me um and even so I so I I I felt embarrassed ashamed disrespected and I I I walked away thinking like what would have made this different if she had asked some questions instead of assuming that I was like some promiscuous low class like da 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 da. and if I had been like today you can be like um, no slut shaming right like but (laughs) but had had she asked some questions to know a little more and been a little open and I think that there's so much value in asking people that's why I asked like you know um about do you like how do you like you go by Martin like like there's because there's then you tell the story and then I have some more information and then I you know sort of some weight to that so I think that I would just say um or what is interesting and important to me is the power of narrative um Didi Delgado says our narrative is our humanity and she's an LA activist and that's it like can we tell our story can we talk a little can we slow it down um so yeah I think that was the only thing I was thinking of um because I all of my life is like you said sort of these million stories that I have got I've got a story for everything um or a saying or and those are all the memories and connections and important pieces if someone wants to have some conversation ask the question yeah Oh, that's awesome. I mean, Marthy, I think we have a, a title for this episode. Our narrative is our humanity. I mean, <laughs> I think that's well said for for kind of what you all what you've always represented for me and, and just sort of like how we can truly honor our own experiences and other experiences and, and really be open to to being able to have that more present in the world. Oh, you just got me making a connection here. Oh, shoot. <laughs> oh, you made me think about like all the way back to the food piece, um, that connection piece. Those are the foods that I enjoyed, right? Like the ones that I enjoyed were the ones that were handed down from the folks before me. And particularly the ones where we are sitting together in community, the sharing of the food, like that communal plate mm-hmm. um, and even the struggle meals. We would literally, whatever we had be like, because it was my mom, my brother and I, okay, we're going to divide it three ways. Like whatever it was, we were divided three ways, even if we didn't have a lot. And sometimes my mom would skip out and be like, oh, you two, I already ate. Like, but that's that connection piece, right? Like being together, even in the difficult times allows us to make it through. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I love that you mentioned that. Cause I, I mean, it, it makes me even think like just the, the people we have in our lives now, it's like, you know, we could be going through our worst times or whatever, but like, you know, the, those people who we have in our lives, like if if they're there and then they're they're 100 riding with you like it, it makes such a huge impact and and it's the fact that like you know that unconditional love or, or just the the regard for another person where it's like hey like you can be going through it right now but like whatever you need or i'm here for you and and genuinely like seriously like what whatever it is i i'm, I'm going to make sure my life is you know I don't want to say altered in any way, but my, my, my life is, is sort of in connection with yours with that, with, with regard of I'm, I'm no better than you or, and, and I want to be able to 
you know, lean myself towards your, you know, your life as well. And sort of that, you know, like the, the fact that like those two people can exist one another without one being better than the other. Yeah. And like, we can't necessarily solve it for each other, but I can carry some weight, right? Yes. Yeah. Or I can be here if you're going to sit down. Okay, I'm going to sit down next to you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm. All right. Great transition into our, our next segment. But yeah, so then we'll take a little bit of a break and we'll come back with our mental health check-in. We just wrapped up having an amazing conversation with Janice. And now we're going to close out this episode with our mental health check-in and passing it to our mental health expert, Charlie. Mental health expert. I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> Compared to me, yeah. you are. <laughs> I definitely think, you know, having this space where we can talk about, you know, what are some things that we, we should tap in a little bit more into to kind of uplift our mental health or just kind of be leaning more into. So let me pass it over to Janice to really highlight what are some mental health um, aspects that she'd want to highlight. All right. I have been leaning a lot into practicing this more and encouraging the practice amongst others of doing some more some more creative work and some more somatic work. And by somatic work, I mean accessing, tapping into that connection between the mind and the body. Um, and so experiencing things. Um, often our thoughts around or what is promoted around mental health is about sitting down and talking to someone about your feelings. And that is not always natural or comfortable or even necessarily the standalone most effective way mm -hmm. to approach holistic well-being. And so I think if we're looking holistically at how we are happy, whole, and true to ourselves, as well as how do we address when we're having some dysfunction or we're experiencing a challenge in our well-being or our mental health, um, anywhere along that continuum, that we don't forget about our bodies. So I like to give the example. Um, of when you see someone that you haven't seen for a long time, when you see someone you haven't seen for a long time, what do you think? What's the, th what's the thought that comes to your mind, Charlie, Martin? What's the thought that comes to your mind? You see someone you haven't seen, maybe a whole pandemic, or you, mm -hmm. they've been living somewhere else or whatever it is. What's the thought that comes to your mind? The first thought that comes into my mind is just like, I, I want to embrace them. I want to sort of like, hey, you know, like, how are you doing? Like, how's life? I haven't seen you in so long. Yeah, embrace is the first word that comes to mind. Uh, to me, it's kind of like fear. Because mm. it's like, like, especially if we haven't seen each other for a while, it's kind of like afraid, like, are we still the same people we were years ago? And are we still connecting? Do we still vibe? Or is there gonna be kind of like a change? Mm -hmm. it might be good change but also might be bad change like oh maybe we're no longer maybe we're no longer friends the pandemic was a very enlightening experience both socially culturally politically there's a lot mm -hmm. going on so just realizing like where did we sit the past two years mm -hmm. mm, it's interesting because I asked you all both of you what you thought and you gave me a thought and an emotion so there shows how closely they're intertwined right mm -hmm. and then what do you do when you see someone that you haven't seen in a long time? Greet them, hug them. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Okay. You hug them, you greet them, anything, Charlie, what would you do? I mean, I, I would definitely do the same. I mean, I, I would, I would want to sort of bring them in and just sort of connect with them. Okay. Yeah. And then what do you feel in your body? 
like think of someone that this is you've had one of these experiences recently what did you feel in your body that was me last night seeing my family in a very long time um a little anxious kind of being like oh they're gonna ask you like oh how are you how's everyone in the past two years and those everyone's may not be there anymore or like not involved was kind of like oh how do I address this Mm-hmm. did you notice it any did you notice any sensation in any part of your body my stomach mm. <laughs> butterflies <laughs> i guess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah for me i would say sort of a warmth and like energizing rejuvenation kind of like in my heart mm-hmm. this is an example of what we forget and this is what i was talking about like that somatic experiencing this is perfect example of sort of this like cognitive behavioral triangle the thought Mm -hmm. the emotion and then the action they are not separate they influence one another sort of like if you had arrows it'd be like a triangle and it's bi-directional they're influencing back and forth each area and so often when we think about mental health we forget the body part if you've had a rough week you may have tightness in your shoulders during your traps right like your jaw may be clenched you may have any kind of any function of stomach disorder right like you might have your stomach is butterflies or more right like it goes <laughs> on and it, you may have a headache whatever it is the same thing happens along continue when we're excited, when we're full of joy, that warmth, that energy. I smile so hard that like my face hurts and I'm like literally energized. Like I'm sort of like shaking and bubbling. I, you know, I, and it's super excited. And I, I think I remember like the last time that I had a conversation with Charlie Chachai, I, I ended up like being energized for like an hour afterwards. I was like, oh yeah, pumped up, like getting stuff done around the house. This is the connection between um, our mental health and our mental status and our physical sense. And so if I would be pushing, promoting, encouraging anything is to take notice of those connections and to remember them, tap into them. Mm -hmm. When you've had a particularly challenging time or even just regularly to maintain wellness, move your body, Mm -hmm. recharge yourself. Because sometimes it's not doing anything. It's literally laying down or watching Netflix or just big being. I enjoy the sun. So I'm like really about the outdoors and the sun. Mm-hmm. But I'm also like a cat. Like you could put me up with the book and my feet up in a sunny window. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's just so awesome. Um, or put me in the car with the wind blowing and just the right hit of sun. I, mm-hmm. I, I tend to prefer to be the passenger because like my eyes get a little closed. The sun's hitting the breeze. Like this whole physical experience of connecting to the physicality of my environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was in Japan, they had this idea of forest bathing, just being out in nature, bathing in the sensation mm-hmm. of, of the natural world. And not everybody has access to a whole forest, but you've got other things, right? Could you walk and move your body? You're moving those chemicals and sensations and everything leisurely or fast and you're running whatever your thing is. And notice the little flower that came up in the concrete and just spend a moment and be like, wow, amazing. Like it came through the concrete. So that appreciation, but really the key element for me would be don't forget your body um, to find a way to either recharge yourself or to release because so much gets stored up in those tense moments or in that stomach or in that whatever it is and release it. Um, Find some way to move it through your body for sort of general well-being. And And I would say it's find what you love 
find what maybe you don't love, but gives you that good ending. Like maybe you don't love to exercise, but when you've got your sweat on, you're like, whew, I feel good about it. Um, or if it's dance, um, my 12 year old is really good at sports and he also has, um, what's identified as ADHD. It's a lot of the results of trauma, um, from, you know, his early life. And when he does his sports, a 90 minute soccer game, he's like, Ooh, yeah, his mood is good. He's like in a better mood. And I'm like, those, those Saturdays, those are good days. Those practice days, those are better days. Um, so being mindful of those things in response to challenges, but also in, sort of charging up your battery in preparation for life. Yeah. Like that's uh, the that's the proactive part. I think it's also another element that we forget is sometimes we're good at responding to a dysfunction, but what would it be like if we were thinking and practicing those rituals of healing and holistic, um, keeping ourselves at like a good energy level and vibration before a problem that we have to offset so that we could maybe be a little more resilient. Yeah. Uh, well said. I, I don't have much to add to that. I mean, thank you so much, Janice, for offering that to, to our listeners, offering that to us. And honestly, just thank you for being here today. I mean, I, I always love talking with you. And similarly, I, I always have that energy at, at the end of every time we connect. So um, I know I'm going to go out and, and really enjoy the rest of my day for darn sure. So yeah, thank you so much, Janice. Um, thank you so much, Martin. Um, and thank you so much, listeners, uh, for tuning into this episode of Taste of Meaning. Um, we'll be back with you soon um, with another episode. Till then, take care of yourselves and most importantly, take care of others. We'll see y'all soon.